Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. As we are all standing, shall we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I will read it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the New King James Version. I charge you, therefore, God, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, Exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and will be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Verses 6, 7, and 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to those all who have loved in his appearing. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you. What a privilege it is to come to the throne of grace of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to worship you as your children this morning, Lord. Children who have been redeemed by the blood of your one and only Son, the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. This morning, we thank you, Lord, for the word that you have allowed your servant to read. We pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning. We pray that only the name of the Lord will be lifted here. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. Lift up the name of your son, Lord. Make me a blessing to your people. Thank you, Father. Help us to sit here with an attitude of praise, prayer, and fear of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Please be seated. I have been 
given the distinct privilege of presiding over several funeral services including the one last sunday evening of our dear thomas uncle one of the things about funeral services is that you reflect on people's lives last week also one of my spiritual mentors pastor km joseph my own pastor at barwadur church when i left the country went to be with the lord a great warrior for the lord and you listen to the eulogies and the reflections and people's memories about the deceased and somebody who is standing here as the presiding of uh, minister you hear every word they say and you know after a while it strikes you so hard if i exchange my position with that person who is in that coffin what will others talk about me what will others talk about me jolly matthew how would you be remembered this thought was actually hitting me so hard the last few days so practically the entire week last week i have never spoken a sermon on this portion even though this is one of the most familiar passages to all of us this is actually paul's last letter second timothy nero has imprisoned him in roman jail and he is writing this letter from the confines of the prison's dark dungeon he is writing it to his spiritual son timothy his beloved disciple and his trusted successor in ministry paul is in loneliness now everyone has left him except for his very faithful companion dr luke he's the only one with him now and paul is awaiting execution i don't have the time to explain everything about this episode paul the aged warrior is laying down his arms his armor with timoth which timothy must take up and continue what paul has been doing how do i ask you something when you know you have only a very short time to live what will be the things you say and what will be the things you do and i know for sure it will definitely be the most 
important things in your life. The most valuable things, the things that you consider the most valuable will be the ones that you do at the very last hours, the last days of your life. So Paul is urging Timothy, with that in mind, these are the more important cardinal core issues in my life. Paul is urging Timothy, Timothy, be loyal to the faith that you have received. Timothy, stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy, be strong in grace. Timothy, you be aware of the dangers that are lurking in our community, in the church, by the infiltration of the false teachers and the false prophets. And he finishes off by celebrating the faithfulness of God. All throughout this epistle, you will see this particular phrase repeated several times. He talks about a scenario. Then he immediately says, but you, Timothy. Therefore, you, Timothy. As for you, Timothy, you are a different person. There are many things that are happening in the world, Timothy. But you are different. A child of God, chosen for a purpose, brought, bought by the blood of the Lamb, you are to be different from the rest of the world. You are called for eternity. And Paul then immediately switches gear and starts talking about himself. He talks about a lot of things around the world. Then he talks to Timothy. As for you, Timothy, then now in verse 6 he says, as for me. For I am already being poured out. Timothy, my life is about to be poured out as a drink offering. My message is particularly focusing on verses 6 and 7. Timothy, I'm about to be executed. I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering, a libation, a final offering in a series of sacrifices and offerings. I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering at the base of the altar. I really don't have the time to go into the details of drink offerings and all. Dear Timothy, ever since I met my Lord, I have been offering everything to my Lord. Everything was, was worthy to me. I have been offering one after another after another before the Lord, to the Lord. My whole person I have given to him. My intellect I have sacrificed for my Lord. My wealth I have sacrificed for my Lord. My education and my scholarship I have given to the Lord. My time, my energy, my devotion, 
my sleep, my influence, my everything else, I have given and sacrificed to the Lord. Everything that was precious to me, I have considered dung for his sake. The only thing that I'm still holding on to this moment is now this feeble life, this feeble body. And even now, even that, I'm going to be offering that as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. The time of my departure is at hand. The term departure is very graphic in Greek. That phrase that Apostle Paul is using is called, in Greek it is analusis. It's an extremely vivid phrase. And when he writes that, there are at least four different pictures portrayed in that word. Number one, unyoking of a farm animal from the plow or the shaft of the cart. The farm animal was working in the field all day. But on its neck, there was this yoke. And the, by the end of the day, the work is finished. The farmer, its owner, will take out the yoke from his neck and release him and take the farm animal, the oxen, to its home, its stable. Analysis means taking the yoke away. Hallelujah. Timothy, I'm going to be released of all my toils. I've been toiling for my God, for the master. Now, I'm going to rest. I'm going to enter into my eternal rest. You know, many a time we talk, we take those, read through those verses very casually, not knowing what really Paul is writing. You should go into that dungeon and speak those words from the perspective of a person who has sacrificed his entire life for the sake of the Lord. And he's penning his last few words. When you realize that, then only you, you, you understand the gravity, the meaning, the life in those words. Hallelujah. I'm entering into my eternal rest. There is no more labor left for me. Hallelujah. You know, the same is echoed in Daniel 12.3, a very familiar verse. But as for you, Daniel, go your way till the end, for you shall rest, and you will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. We read all these things mostly at funeral services. There is no more toil left for me. Brothers and sisters, we are here for the mission. 
We are here for the purpose. To live for the Lord. To be useful in his field. To prepare the land for the harvest. Apostle is declaring that he fulfilled what was entrusted to him. He was given a task to complete. And Apostle Paul is saying, I have completed it. There is no more toil left for me to do. But you, Timothy, you pick it up where I ended. Hallelujah. It's a great thing to know that we have completed that task that was given to us. But it's a greater thing to know that there is a generation left by me who will pick up the work that I left just to continue. When I go, it is such a great feeling to know that my generation, my children, my grandchildren, my family will pick up where I stopped. It shook my entire life when I, that thought came to me. I was shaken, shaken. Will my children pick up where I ended? Do you know why you are here? And if you do, what is it? What is it that you are here for? You are a child of God. You are Pentecostal. You are saved. Filled with the, mission, with the Holy Spirit. Reading the scripture every day. But what is the purpose of your being here? What are you doing for your master? And who will continue it when you stop doing what you're doing? The word analysis has a different meaning also. It means loosening the shackles and the chains from a prisoner. Analysis. Loosening the shackles and the chains of a prisoner. Death to Paul was a release from his imprisonment. Not the physical imprisonment. All his life he was imprisoned by this body. Release from the bondages of the earthly afflictions. All his sufferings. His betrayals and all the things that were holding him and connecting him to the earth. Including his own body which was being tormented by the thorn in the flesh. He's going to be released from it. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 29 reads like this. He's talking about his afflictions there. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. 
in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak that I am not weak? Who is made to stumble that I do not burn with indignation? Paul is going to be released from all those. This verb imprisoning him. The word analysis has a third meaning. It also means taking out the peg of a tent and wrapping it up and moving on. Taking down a tent. Analysis. This camping is over. Time to change the venue. Time to move on. Hallelujah. We are here in this tent for a little while. One day, we'll pull our tethers that hold us to this earth and we'll have to move on. Paul himself writes in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we do not for we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that, mor that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Hallelujah. Yes, this earthly body we shed here. And we're going to be moving on to the heavenlies. And fourthly, the final imagery is even more vivid. Analysis also means prior to setting out into the deep sea, the anchor of a ship is pulled and the ropes that were tying it to the shores is 
released and the ship is being slowly moving into the deep sea time for the ship to launch into the greatest sea of all setting sail across the deep waters of death to arrive at the shores of eternity paul was very careful when you he chose that word the time of my departure is at hand do you know why we are not afraid of death and do you know the child of god is the only person in the entire world who should not be afraid of death everyone else must be afraid of death because what awaits them after death is beyond terror you can't even describe what will happen hallelujah for a child of god death is laying down the burden in order to in order that we may rest shouldn't scare you for a child of god it is loosening the shackles and chains that bear him down in this world in order to be free should that make you afraid it's for a child of god it is releasing and leaving the tent this earthly tent here and moving on to the glorious body is that something to be scared of and for the child of god it is casting off the ropes that bind us to this earth and moving on to the shores of eternity to meet the master your savior and the maker of your soul should it scare you but if any of these if any of these things make you scared today if any of these things make you scared today i want you to present i want to present to you my savior my lord my jesus this morning hallelujah he alone he alone he alone can take you to the other shore so you won't be afraid he alone can take you eternal life nobody else hallelujah salvation is in christ alone through faith alone by god's grace alone not by works not by any of my efforts solas christos solas fido solas gratis by faith in him your sins are forgiven your past is wiped clean and you will be made righteous by the imputed and the perfect righteousness of Christ and you will be made a clean child of god 
and you become the family of God. He wants to give you that opportunity today if you never had that this morning. Please, please see the Savior. He was the perfect Lamb of God who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for you and me. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely no condemnation. Clean slate. Then in verse 7 to 8, verses 7 and 8, Apostle Paul goes on in very vivid colors to declare what many theologians call Paul's valedictory. Paul's valedictory. It's usually seen in many of the obituary statements. It goes like this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I have fought the good fight. Again, the Greek word that's used there is not a soldier fighting in a battle. It's actually the word that's used is agon, A-G-O-N, agon, which means an athlete fighting in an arena. It's an athletic terminology. I have agonized in fighting. That's the word, the origin for our word agony. Fighting as an athlete in an arena. He has done his very best, that's what he's saying. The opponents were very formidable. But he has done his best. Child of God, he who is with you is greater than who is in the world. You must know your enemy in this fight. And you must know your strength and your power. Hallelujah. Remind yourself. The one in me is greater than the one out there. That's why Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens me. Why do you have the Holy Spirit in you? Why are you filled with the Holy Spirit? In order to overcome your enemy. Life is a battle. Life is a battle in the arena with an opponent every moment. And the Spirit of God is enabling the children of God to win that battle because the Spirit belongs to the victor. Hallelujah. And he has infused it into you so you become not a victim but a victor. Hallelujah. 
you must know your power. And a lot of times we fail because we forget who we are. We don't know what we have inside. That's why we fail. It happens even to the best of us. All of us have done this. All of us have failed sometimes in life because we forget who we are and we forget what we are filled with. And we must know our enemy's tactics and his strategies also. And you should never allow yourself to be distracted because distraction is a very important tactics that your enemy is going to try on you like david before goliath you must be a veteran in using your weapon and do you know what is your weapon the word of god the sword the only offensive weapon you are allowed to use nothing more and nothing else the only offensive weapon study the word there is no substitute for the word of god my dear brothers and sisters there's absolutely no the replacement for the word of god is the word of god nothing else second timothy 3:215 i'm reading from the amplified version here study and do your best to present yourself approved to god if you have to be approved to god you must study the word of god be a workman who has no reason to be ashamed by studying the word of god and accurately handle and skillfully teach the word of truth i could stay here for the rest of the sermon but i want to move on the second thing he is talking about is i have finished my race is one thing to get a great start in a race and that sometimes helps but what really matters is how you how you finish in describing christian life the imagery of the race is particularly frequent in pauline letters it conveyed the idea of discipline endurance and the pursuit of a prize when he says i finished the race paul is not just saying that i'm done i ended my life on the contrary he is talking about something very different there he is talking about a mission accomplished a mission that is completed a mission that god has given him has been put to completion to be an evangelist to the gentiles was he knew that was what he was called for a task so difficult but so faithfully executed he kept his eyes on his master as he ran his race to the completion also the race is not all about speed but it's about endurance 
It's about endurance. It's not about how quickly you get to the finishing point. Well, you must reach the finishing point. But rather, it's about staying the course despite the obstacles, the distractions, and the challenges that will come across. It's about remaining faithful to God, even when the going gets tough. That's why we need encouragers in our Christian life. We may get weak and tired in this race. There may come, occasion, come occasions when we feel like giving up. That's why we need the people of God to encourage us. I don't know about you, but I have gone through a lot of down times in my life. But I'm sure if you are honest enough, sincere enough, you will also confess that you have also been going through low times in life. Barnabas was an encouraging disciple, an encourager, a cheerleader. He encouraged Apostle Paul, who gave it up all in the beginning of his ministry and went back to his hometown. And you know what this Barnabas did? He went back to where he was, to his hometown. Looking for him, brought him back. If it was not for Barnabas, we would have never heard a word about Paul in the scriptures. There's another young man, John Mark. He was a co-companion of Paul and Barnabas in the first mission journey. After the first, during the first mission journey, the going was tough for a young kid, a young man. And he abandoned Paul and Barnabas. Apostle Paul did not want to take him anymore in his journeys. But this Barnabas went back to Mark and brought him back. If you hear anything about Mark in the scriptures today, it's because there was a cheerleader called Barnabas. We all need cheerleaders, nevertheless. We should look for young, look for the weak among us to encourage them. Yes, we all need to have very glorious accolades, accomplishments, everything. But it may not happen all the time. The daily grind can sometimes pull you, pull us back, pull us down. The challenges of life can sometimes bear us down. We should be people who encourage others. Encouragement doesn't mean compromise. Please don't get me wrong. Encouraging is picking up somebody from where he was. Putting him, giving him a shoulder and walk with him. Walk with him until he gains strength. Keep him on the track. If he has gone off track, 
and the purpose of the church of God is to be an encourager. Even the best and the strongest among us need encouragers in our life. And that's why we have family life. When the wife gets weak, the husband should try to bring her up and give her a shoulder and vice versa. Children, your parents need support. They sometimes become weak, fighting all the battles in life. They need a strong shoulder sometimes to lean on. Yes, you may be only eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old. Be that shoulder for your parents. And vice versa, parents, be an encourager for your children. Hebrews 12.1, the writer of Hebrews goes like this. Therefore, after describing a host of faithful finishers, faithful runners in chapter 11, a whole list, a apostle is writing, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hallelujah. The church can build one another. I can build my brother and my sister. And so can you on me. Yeah, a lot of times I put up a very serious face on me. But you know, sometimes I'm looking for somebody to tell me an encouraging word. I'm sure it's the story of every one of you. Finishing the race also means living a life of integrity and faithfulness to the word of God. I can never overemphasize the role of the word of God in the life of a child of God. Sound doctrines must govern our actions and our attitudes and should be the hallmark of a follower of Christ. Sound doctrine. Only the word can make us the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Nothing else can do it. We just can't do it on our own. If transformation must happen, it will happen because the word is working in our lives. Lastly, finishing the race is about leaving a legacy for the future generations. Just as Paul passed on his baton to Timothy and to others, we are also mandated to pass the baton that we carry to the next generation. Run, but let our next generation pick it up from us. 
let our next generation know how important God. I want you to listen to me. Our next generation should know how important God is for us. How important God is in our life. Yes, we spend a lot of money on their education. Thank God many of our children are very musically talented and we must encourage them and thank God for the parents who do that. And many of our children are very talented in sports and I thank the parents who encourage them. But let me ask you something. Is that all you can give to your children? Have you ever thought or the importance of giving your God to your children. How important is God to be passed on to your children? How much do you strive for godliness in your life and for your children's life? How important is it for you? How much priority do you give for family prayer? Personal devotion? Personal prayer? How much importance do you give to services in the church? Don't take these worship services for granted. And let not your children see how little significance you give to the services in here. If you have that attitude, your children will hate God and, the, and hate the church. Come here with reverence. Come here with reverence. Come here with the fear of God. Come here with an, in, an attitude of indispensable need. That I must be in the house of God. If you don't do that, we have a whole next generation to lose. If they don't see the fear of God in you, guaranteed your children are lost to the world. Let our posterity take the baton from us when we take our last breath. This race is real, my dear friends. This race is real. This race is a race that will make a difference between eternal life and eternal death. Do you know the most famous, I, I'm going to take a few more minutes because, you know, lunch is being served, so everybody should relax. This is the end of everything else. So I'm going to take a few more minutes. Just have your wallets ready. You know the most famous race of all in history? Which one? 
what is the most famous race that you have heard of in history marathon which one new york marathon boston marathon huh the olympic marathon yes you know why it is famous it was the marathon race in it is not the olympic marathon olympic marathon came later 490 bc the battle of marathon was fought between the formidable army of the persians and and not so great an army of the greeks the battle of marathon the persians were conquering nations after nations after nations a cascade of victories followed until they came to marathon and faced this little league army of the greeks they had just barely about 10000 people in their army and several times more in the persian if persians had really conquered that war the world would have never seen the greek civilization and all its contributions that we know today god had a different purpose and they fought greeks fought they fought with their life and they won that battle and that stopped a winning streak for the persians after the battle a greek a greek courier named phidipides ran days and nights in a row non stop hundreds of miles from the battlefield to athens to the magistrates assembly and during his race he threw away everything that he had as he was promising finally he had to actually take away his clothes even he ran naked and finally he pushed himself into the assembly dragged himself into the assembly and he said whispered with every strength that he had rejoice we have conquered and he fell and died that is the legend behind the marathon race he had completed his course and he has done his work for our christian race there is a course and there is a finishing point you are not done until you have reached the finishing line and finally paul says i have kept the faith I guarded the faith once for all entrusted to me. Apostle Jude talks about it. That means he guarded the doctrines like precious gold. 
precious treasure. There, were, there was infiltration of false doctrines all around. The world is out there screaming, compromise, compromise. Why are you so much holding on to the doctrines like this? If only you could compromise, this church will be filled to standing room only. If you compromise, you'll become very popular. If you compromise, it'll be accepted as the cool thing to do. If you compromise, you will be liked by everybody except God. Paul said he kept the faith. He was true to the doctrines that was once and for entrusted to him. He was never a popular person. He taught sound doctrine and he practiced sound doctrine and he transferred sound doctrine to his successor. Then there is another meaning to kept the faith. Through all the challenges of life, his, his faith was unshaken. It was kept unshaken through all the trials and persecutions he went through. He never betrayed his master. Five times underwent scourging. I don't know how many of you, I'm not endorsing a movie here, please don't get me wrong. How many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? I happen to have seen it recently. Also. I'm not endorsing, but it is not, a, it is not a biblically sound movie. It is not. It is based on a Catholic perspective. I will talk about it later in the future. But if you want to know anything about this beating a person 39 times, you go and watch that movie. What they did to Jesus. And Apostle Paul has gone through that kind of scourging five times. Puzzle, weren't you scourged last time? You know what it is. You're going to do it again? For the sake of Christ, he went again. And again. And again. Because he was not ashamed of the faith that was entrusted to him. I kept the faith through it all. At the end, I'm going to finish now. Let's ask, ask Paul, why did you do all these things? What made you persevere? What made you stay in the race so focused? What made you keep his faith so firmly? The answer is given in verse 8. There is a crown waiting for me. There is a crown waiting for me. I will receive it from my righteous judge. My Lord. Nero is not righteous. The judgment that Paul is going to be handed over is not a righteous judgment. He's going to be executed. But 
There will be people who walk around saying that Paul is done. And, but Paul is not done. Hallelujah. There is going to be a day when the righteous judge himself will crown my head with the righteous crown, the crown of righteousness. And he concludes by saying, not just to me alone. Oh, can you think of this man's heart? Can you see this man's heart? Even when he's saying about what he will receive, he becomes an encourager, not to me alone, but to all who love and long for his appearing. Do you have that hope? I'm going to conclude with a story. How many of you know about Alfred Nobel? He was born in 1933 in Sweden. Not much educated, but he was an extremely intelligent and innovative person. He invented TNT, trinitrotoluene, otherwise called dynamite. It's an integral part of every bomb. Warheads are long-range artillery. And he sold it to nations. And he became one of the wealthiest people in the world at that time, in his generation. But listen to this carefully. In 1988, when he was 55 years old, a news came in the newspaper. This was the news. Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, the merchant of death, died yesterday. He devised a way for more people to be killed in a war than ever in the history before. He died a very rich man. Actually, what happened was, it was Alfred's brother Ludwig who died. And the newspaper made a mistake. But this news, as he read, Alfred had a profound influence upon him. He did not want to be remembered as the merchant of death anymore. You know what he did? He wanted to change his legacy. He redid his will. And he invested everything that he gained so far into a fund. Into a, into, into, into a fund that will support five prices that will benefit humanity. Price in the field of physics, price in the field of chemistry, in the field of medicine, in the field of literature, and the field of peace. And in 1968, they added a sixth section also to it, economics. And then he said, every man should be, a given, should be given a chance to correct his epitaph in midstream 
and write a new one every man epitaph that writing on your tombstone you are listening to me you are listening to me today because your epitaph has not been written we are given a chance to rewrite our epitaph we can do it by trusting in god if we submit our life to the lord hallelujah let us fight our faith purposefully let us run our race throwing away everything that beset us looking unto the author and finisher of our race let us keep the faith that was entrusted with us like precious gold guarding it with no compromise and the reward will be ours for sure may the lord bless us